0: It was the longest road trip that they had, uh, longest road trip they've ever been on. We're not talking days, weeks, months, years. Nearly four decades they spent wandering around in the wilderness, waiting for that promised land to finally be given to them. It wasn't until at some point throughout the journey where their camp and their time at home started to look a little different. Because the tent was no longer just a place where they would sleep or eat or take shelter from the blistering hot weather. It was also a place where they would begin to commune with God. Because at one point, there was a difference that happened within each and every one of them. When it started to happen, there was a noticeable calm that would cover each and every person within the nation of Israel. As Exodus 33 reminds us and tells us that, that there was that one tent that was just slightly out from the rest, the tent of meeting it was called. And as Moses would take step by step in his sandals through the sand and the wind blistering in his cloak, he would pull back the curtain and the density in the air would start to thicken and develop a cloud that would descend onto the tent of meeting. He would go in, he would meet face to face with God. And so at that moment when that would happen, the, the, the parents would start to call the kids in. The clangering of, of the cooking would subside. The bartering of what I have and what I want would begin to subdue as they would all make their way back to their own tents. And that as Moses would meet face to face with God, they too would begin to mimic that same posture. They would bow, they would kneel, they would pray, they would worship because they knew, they had learned that once Moses emerged, there was going to be some type of directive. Go here, take your tent with you, stay put, the enemy is coming. And they knew that they had to recognize the voice of God in order to trust and obey where he would call them next. The tent was no longer just a place of refuge. It became a place of worship. And so the question for a lot of us today is a similar question. Do we get in our tent? Do we spend time with God face to face, seeking him out, looking for where he might lead us next see it's interesting because the people of israel didn't give this have this gift of seeking after god because of their obedience perhaps at times it was because of their lack thereof and god still had a desire to meet with them those stiff-necked people were still invited to commune and share in the presence of god and so the question for us remains the same as a community of faith do we seek the presence of god Do you, as an individual, someone who perhaps claims to be a follower of Jesus, do you seek to meet with God face to face? I want to welcome you to week three of our teaching series, Doctrine, as we kind of unpack this final idea of God's purpose for us. We kicked off this series on Easter talking about God's plan, the gospel of how anyone who who is aware of their sin and has the desire to be redeemed and restored through the life, death, resurrection of Jesus may receive that free gift of grace. And then last week we started to talk about this other idea though, so what is God's purpose for us? For you and I in the church, what is our purpose? Why are we here? Why do we exist? And we kind of talked about this idea that the, the, the purpose is to be a disciple, is to follow Jesus. We put it this way, that disciple-making is helping each other follow Jesus. Like, like, this is why we exist. And we know this notion that, that when it comes to discipleship, there's kind of two camps at times. There's the evangelism camp and the, and the growth, the, the sanctification, the discipleship camp. But they're really intertwined together. That some people really, really say we need to care and invite the lost into a relationship with Jesus. And on the other side, there's people say, but we need, to, we need to grow in our faith. We need to mature. We need to be in the word. And collectively, they come together. Now, you might be saying, wait, wait, doesn't that sound familiar? Helping each other. Fall? Is that in the Bible? So, no, that's not in the Bible. That's our mission statement. But that's why we exist. That is our purpose, not just as a church, but as individuals. And last week, we left you guys with this idea of what it means to to, to be an evangelist, a big E or even a little E evangelist, that we are commissioned with mission, that we've been sent out by the power and the authority of God and his spirit to be with people in relationships, so that we might reveal the mission and the kingdom of God to them. And so today, though, we're going to unpack that second part of that purpose, that growing and maturing aspect of our faith. Because here's something, though, that I have been convicted of, Something that I believe that most of us can relate to. It's this. It's that a lot of us, when when we step into the bounds of faith, we know and we're aware of our our need for a savior, don't we? Like like I'm a sinner, I'm messed up, I've made some bad decisions, I need God to pay that price and make it up uh, for me because I know I cannot. But how many of us live with a Lord over our life? Many of us know we need a Savior to bridge the gap, to to reconcile us with God for all of eternity. But how many of us genuinely and truly live with Jesus, not just as Savior, but also Lord of our life? And so that's what today's message is about, that maturation, that growing of Jesus, not just as Savior, but of Lord in our life. So, if you have your Bible, I invite you to turn with me to the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 9 is where we're going to be. If you have, uh, you can also turn to Matthew chapter 16, similar passage, but I'm going to read it out of Luke this morning. As you're turning there, the Gospel of Luke, it's the third book in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. All the four dudes' names, they give us the Gospels, the biography of the life of Jesus. In the Old Testament, it's building this need, this foreshadowing for a Savior to come. Boom! We have Matthew, Mark, Luke, John that tells us about Jesus and everything else from the book of Acts on refers back to what Jesus has done for us and how he makes us new. It's at this point in the narrative of Jesus' life, he has foretold of his impending death. He declares that he is the Messiah. Get this, he says, I am the Lord, I am the one that the prophets talked about, and there's always this question, well, Jesus, what does it look like for me to be in your camp and to follow you? And he gives these words. Luke chapter 9, starting in verse 23, you can follow along with this. He says this, he says, then, this is Jesus, he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up, or perhaps your translation says, pick up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory, in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Truly I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. This is a passage that I think kind of hits hard for us as Christians, especially in Western American culture. We, we, we read and we hear passages like this and we just kind of say, Hold on, that doesn't sound quite right. There's a lot of like uh, intense language there. Deny, pick up your cross, follow me. I don't really know because we have bought into this lie, this false teaching and, and, and belief about God that isn't God's job to make my life better? Isn't it God's job to make my life gooder? That's not a word, but you know, you know what I'm saying, right? Isn't, isn't it God's job to make me happier, to, to, to get rid of all the bad stuff? Isn't it God's role his job to make my life easier and more comfortable? And we begin to say, I, d- I don't really know if I like this passage. And yet this is Jesus. Saying, if I'm going to be savior of your life, this is what it looks like and this is what it takes. And we kind of go, I don't know. Do I have to? Like, like, isn't there like an option B? Can I just get like the pass to get in and not worry about this. And Jesus is making it clear over and over and over, if you're going to come after me, you better be willing. There's a lot that comes with it. And we kind of get, oh, I'm not so sure. We get a little tense, don't we? We get a little, a little hesitant when we hear these, these words and these phrases. of Jesus says, if you want to find your life, you're going to have to lose it. If you're not willing to die, then you don't know me. And we begin to say, yeah, but I don't know. Right? Like, I don't know. Jesus, I like my life. I like being comfortable. I like kind of keeping you in this little box that I can control you and I can take you out when, 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 I, when I need you. And, and that's just kind of, to me, what I've resoluted faith to be. And Jesus is just like, no, this, this, this isn't life. This isn't what I've created it to be. So let's look at these three phrases this morning that Jesus uses of what it means to be a disciple, to be growing in our faith. Number one, he says, deny yourself. The first step, Jesus says, is you have to deny yourself. Deny, here in this term, it's a word that means to, to grow unaccustomed to. Now, now perhaps, uh, I don't know how many of you guys have ever like, gone on a diet before, but if you've ever like, gone to the doctor and they want to like, say, hey, there's some health stuff going on, we need to cut some foods out of your life, and they're like, yeah, you know, how many peach rings are you eating? I'm like, only like four bags a day, it's not that big of a deal. They're like, yeah, we're going to need to stop doing that, Right? And so it's this notion of though, when you begin to diet and you begin to kind of stop eating certain foods, your body goes through a weird adjustment. You can notice that something is happening because you've grown accustomed to feeding yourself one thing in order to change and to grow accustomed to feeding yourself something else. And so in the same way, our hearts, our minds, our souls, our values, our decisions are naturally accustomed to things like sin, pride selfishness, bitterness, vitriol, and on and on and on goes down the list. And so that's why Jesus starts. He says the first step to following me is you have to deny, you have to grow unaccustomed to the way in which sin has overcome your life. But what's the advice of the world? It's not deny yourself, it's the exact opposite. The world says what? Find yourself. Discover the real you. Search within, and there you will find hope and meaning and purpose. Yet we watch the rich and famous go from marriage to marriage, house to house, surgery to surgery, only to be searching. Only to continue to find and hope that they'll stumble upon something that is lasting. The thing is, this isn't anything new. This isn't anything that, that, that is different than the way it's always been. Like, even back in the book of Exodus, as they're going through the promised land, uh, God calls Mo up. He calls Moses to go, hey, I need you to come up on this mountain. I'm going to give you the Ten Commandments. It's going to be important. We need to do this thing. And so, so Mo's like, all right, cool. I'm a servant. Lord, he goes up to the mountain. And he's gone, like, a little over a month. And the people of Israel are, like, freaking out. They're like, yo, it's been, like, 32 days. Where's Mo? And everyone's like, I don't know. He, he went up the mountain, he hasn't come. Well, where's God? Supposedly with Mo, but we haven't heard from him either. Okay, well, what do we do? Uh, I don't know. I've got an idea. Let's go to our tents, let's grab all of the gold, and let's throw it in the middle and make a calf, and let's worship that instead. And at this point, I'm just wondering, was there someone who was there in the crowd being like, you know, this probably isn't the best idea. Like, this probably isn't the smartest thing. But, you know, I don't want to be seen as a uh, radical I don't want to kind of rub people the wrong way or, or create friction within the camp. So I'm just going to kind of go along with the flow because you know what? Everyone's saying, this just seems right. This just seems like what we ought to do. And so, and so they go and they camp and then Moses comes down, breaks the 10 commandments out of, out of anger and frustration. Why? Because they went with what seemed right in the moment. And that's why Jesus starts off by saying, if you want to follow me, If you want to have a faith full of power, if you want to have a faith full of energy, you need to start by denying yourself. Grow unaccustomed to your heart, to your sin, to the way of the world, and choose a different way. It's not understand yourself first so that you can understand God. It's the opposite. Understand God in his glory, in his goodness, in his holiness. Understand Yahweh as he is. Therefore, then you begin to say, I am broken. I am sinful. I am in need of a savior. I need someone to help me figure this thing out because I just keep messing it up. Deny yourselves. If you're unwilling to slay this life, if you're unwilling to loosen your grip on the things that hold us captive to today, and Jesus says, You've missed the point. If you're unwilling to change how you think about relationships, if you're unwilling to change how you perhaps uh, view sex- uh, sexuality different from the world, if you're unwilling, to, 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 to be generous with the money, the gift that I have first given to you. If you're unwilling to know that I've given you a gift and I've given you opportunity to reach me. If you're unwilling to deny yourself, to change your values, alter your schedule for me. Then perhaps you've misunderstood the call of what it means to be my disciple. I think that's why why the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, he, he, he uses this language in which he says, the weakness of God is still out, uh, far outweighs, it is far stronger than the, the greatest power of mankind. That the foolishness of God, he's using hyperbole, is far wiser than the greatest wisdom that we could ever accomplish. And in the same breath, we could turn to the book of Judges where everyone did what was right in their own eyes and it led them to the point of death. You see, the first point of following Jesus, of being his disciple, is assuming that, that where Jesus wants you to camp is different than you were already camped. The, the, the saying that, that, that Jesus, this is where I find you, but I am willing to take it to where you have led me to. This is where the world says, I pitched my tent. This is where I, it just seems right where I want to find you. And Jesus says, no, no, no. First and foremost, you need to assume that where you find me is actually where I am, not where you think you ought to find me. Deny yourself. Number two, Jesus says this. He says, then you need to pick up your cross. Pick up your cross. For our illustration this morning, we can ask it this way. Are you taking your tent with you, or are you leaving it behind? I'm afraid that a lot of us, myself included, I'm guilty of this, we, we set a course of life. I'm going to go out to the, the lands that I want to explore. I'm going to go after the things that I want to chase. I'm going to just kind of go with what my gut tells me. And I say, okay, you know what, Jesus, and I'm going to leave you here. I'm going to leave my tent behind. At least I know where it is. And so if it gets too difficult, I'll come back and get you. If I find myself in a bind, I'll come and get you. If I make a lot of really, really bad decisions, well, I know where you are, then I'll come back, and then, then I'll visit you when it's just convenient, when, it, when it's helpful for me. And Jesus says, no, 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 you need to pick up your cross daily. Take me with you. There's this uh, little song that sometimes uh, we, we, we teach in, in VBS Sunday School. Maybe you learned it or whatever. Um, and it goes like this. It says, If I had a little white box to put my Jesus. Anybody know the song? Singing with me if you do. Come on, you know you want to. I would take him out and to share him with all my friends. And then this is the fun part. If I had a little black box to put the devil in. I would take him out and smash his face. Right? There's this, this notion that, that, that we ingrain uh, from, from, from birth that, that we are supposed to take Jesus with us. For decades, people have worn crosses, crucifixes around their necks. It started as a way to symbolize your taking Jesus with you. And then it became WWDDJD bracelets. And then it was just if you're super woke, you get it tatted and boom, it's over there. It can never leave. right. It's this notion that you take Jesus with you. You pick up your cross wherever you go, however you go through life. But here's the problem. We don't. There's this phrase, this, this saying that sometimes we use as pastor and in churches, perhaps it goes the same for businesses and organizations, it goes like this is, "What you win them with, you keep them with." Anybody ever hear that before? "What you win them with, you keep them with." And I've been convicted, because I am guilty that we have won people to the Christian faith as a transaction. Say this prayer, and that's all you need. Recognize you're a sinner, save this prayer, and go about your merry way. That's all, because that's all you need, right? And we have we have left out inadvertently the call of what it means to be willing to sacrifice everything, to deny ourselves, to pick up our cross, to be a follower of Jesus. We have inadvertently, generations, we have led people to say you can have a Savior and the Lordship part, that's just extra credit. That's the little little sprinkles on top. If you really want to be an overachiever, you can go ahead and add that in. But if you just want Savior Jesus, that's fine. You can have that and live life as you see fit. And yet Jesus is looking at his disciples saying, you need to pick up your cross. Modern translation, pick up your electric chair. Be willing to lose it all for me. If you want in, this is what it's going to take. Now, the reality is for us in America, we're not facing life and death as a result of being Christians. We're just not. You might get mocked. You might lose a friend or two. There might be a little people who think you're weird because of the Jesus freak stuff or whatever. But we don't face true, genuine persecution, that the threat of death is not something that we have to really consider. But there are brothers and sisters in faith, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, across the world this morning, who will not lay their head back down on their pillow because of their faith in Christ. There are men and women in China, India, Africa, Europe, you name it, who are facing a gun to the head saying, if you say you believe in Jesus, I'm pulling the trigger, and they say, then pull the trigger. Scholars estimate that there's been 75 million martyrs for the Christian faith, and that 45 million of them have come at the turn of the 20th century. They know, they understand what it means to pick up your cross daily, and what do we do? Well, if it's convenient for me, I'll do it. See, I think this stems. We've turned following Jesus into a transaction that you just say the one time and you go about life, right? Like, like, perhaps you went to summer camp as a kid. You went to church camp, and, and, you know, it's like the last night, and they're starting the bonfire, and everyone circles around, and a guy gets out his guitar, Jesus loves me. Blah, 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 or, you know, kumbaya, whatever it is, right? And then all of a sudden he starts playing minor chords, like, dun, 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 dun. And everyone's like, oh, this is getting dark, and a guy gets up, and he takes a twig, and he throws it into the bonfire, and he's like, you don't want that to happen to you, do you? And you're like, no, of course I know. That sounds terrible. What do you mean? Well, if you, you know, have you repented of your sin? Well, no. Uh, okay. Well, repent of your sin, then that won't happen. You need to be in heaven someday. And you're like, yes, give me that. I want that. And he's like, cool, you're in. All right, have a great week, everyone. And that's what we've turned following Jesus into. You say it once, you get in, and you go about life. I know this because whenever we talk about obedience, everyone kind of takes a step back. When we talk about accountability, that there's sin in your life that is reigning over you, and, and we want to pray for you and give you accountability to overcome it with the power of the Spirit, and that sounds a little legalistic. Well, well what about following Jesus and, and changing the way that, that that perhaps you use your money or your schedule or your relationships to benefit the kingdom of God? I don't know. That seems a little radical for me. Because we've made it into a transaction. Jesus talks about lordship when he talks about saviorship. When Jesus talks about messiahship, he says, I also am God of your life. That there's an obedience that I need you to know. That I've given you my spirit to overcome sin and turmoil and pain if you you just give your life to me. There are people in this room, some of you right now, you are going through so much pain and hardship. Because of sin in your life and you're unwilling to give it over to the power of the spirit to release you. because it's not convenient. You like the choices you make secretly. You enjoy getting to call all the shots. Because this is what we've done, we've left the tent behind. Jesus, I know you're in there, I'm gonna go about my life and I will come get you when it's appropriate, when it's convenient to me. You know, I'll show up to church on Sunday morning if it's not too hot and it's not too cold if it's not so nice out that I don't want to be outside, but it's not so ugly out that I actually want to get up, and my, and my kids slept well last night, and all my bills are paid, and there's nothing good on Netflix, and my husband and I, you know, we, 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 we've gotten along, and my wife and I, we didn't bicker for like three days, and, and um, um, there's, there's air in my tires, and uh, all the twigs in my yard are picked up, and so then, if everything right, and if all of my ducks get in a row, then I will show up, God, and I will give you this one hour Let's see what you got. And then we wonder, where is God in my life? Why isn't God doing something? It's because we've left the tent behind. Listen to me. Please, please, please listen to me. Every time we leave the tent behind, every time we go about life and we don't pick up our cross and we don't deny ourselves, we punt on God's gift to us to make a difference for his kingdom. Every single time. And my prayer is that we are a church filled with people who never punt on the gifts of the spirit that God has given to us to grow with one another in community, to know God so that his name may be great. But we must pick up our cross. We must take our tent with us. Number three, Jesus then follows it up. Lastly, he says, also, you're going to need to follow me. Follow me. This is a term that means apprentice. In the ancient Middle East, the goal was for the apprentice to be so good at the craft that if you were to buy it, you couldn't tell if it was the master or the apprentice who made it. And so I want to ask you this question. I'm going to come back around to it. I want you to think about this question. Why am I following Jesus? If you have a faith in Jesus, if you claim to be a disciple, why am I following Jesus? One of my favorite authors is, uh, he's an economist. His name is Malcolm Gladwell, writes phenomenal books. He wrote this book called Outliers in which he coined what is referred to as the 10,000-hour rule. And the 10,000-hour rule is that anyone who is considered a master at their, their craft, their trade, their hobby, their sport, their instrument has spent a minimum of 10,000 hours. And I begin to think to myself, what would it look like, what would it take for us to be considered master disciples? People who just, who just get it, and it just becomes second nature to us. And then I started to do some math. Check this out. So Jesus went up to some young men and he said, drop your nets, the thing that you grew up doing, the only way of life, Uh, just just come after me. And for three years, Jesus walked with his 12 disciples. Now they're good Jewish boys, so which means they would honor the Sabbath. And so six days a week, Jesus spent with them for three full years. Roughly 12 hours a day, sunrise to sunset. You know what that comes out to? It's a little over 10,000 hours. And Jesus says, "Okay, so now you got it, you understood." And they still messed up; they still made mistakes. But Jesus, they knew that Jesus would love as I love, talk as I talk, commune with God as I have shown you. And they go out and they start the church. Three years, twelve disciples, and then it explodes. Let's say let's let's use American metrics here: one hour a week, and if you didn't miss. Church, for one hour, every single week, 52 weeks a year, eh, sometimes 53, you know, it would take you 192 years to become a proficient, to reach that 10,000 hours. An hour a day, in which you did not miss a day, would still take us 27 years. Become a proficient Disciple, deny yourself, pick up your cross, follow me. You know, Jesus didn't say there's going to be a test. I wrote some things down, not the Bible, because Jesus didn't have the Bible, right? He said, I wrote some things down. I had some good ideas. I'm going to give you a multiple choice test. And if you get at least, you know, 70, then cool, we'll talk. And if not, you're just going to have to go study and realize. No, 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 he says, follow me, mimic me, do as I do. And yet a lot of us say, nope, I like the Savior Jesus, not the Lord Jesus. One of my favorite theologians, his name is Dallas Willard. He has this quote, and he calls it vampire Christianity. This is what he says. He says, this heresy has created the impression that it is quite reasonable to be a vampire Christian. One, in effect, says to Jesus, I'd like a little bit of your blood, please. He's talking about justification and tell of sins. But I don't care to be your student or have your character. In fact, won't you just excuse me while I get on with my life? and I'll see you in heaven. But can we really imagine that Jesus, that this is an approach that Jesus finds acceptable? Why do I follow Jesus? If you answer that question saying to go to heaven someday, then Jesus makes it clear. Discipleship, the power of the Spirit, it's not going to be active and real in your life. There's going to be sin that, that overcomes you. And you're just going to go through life looking like everyone else. If your answer is, why do I follow Jesus? Because I think it's his job to make me healthy, wealthy, wise, uh, to, to give my business great success, then I'm just going to be honest. You're going to be severely disappointed. <laughs> you probably need to read like the book of Acts and what happened to the disciples and all that type of stuff, right? But if your answer to the question is, why do I follow Jesus? It's because he died for me and has given me new life. If he was willing to die for me, then I am willing to live for him. Then and only then do we understand that we will say, God, show me where to camp. I will take my tent with you. I will follow you anywhere you go. You aren't just savior of my life, you are Lord too. So when it comes to growing in our faith, when it comes to to maturation, discipleship, let me, let me break it down this way. I've never met a Christian who wouldn't agree to this. Should Jesus run your life? Should Jesus run your life? Everyone's like, yeah. That's why I'm in. He's Lord. He knows everything. Blah, blah, blah. blah. Of course. But then we do this. Then we say, but but I I want in too. Uh, I want to call some shots, I want to be involved, I like certain things, I want to, you know, manage money my way, I want to manage time my way, I want to manage relationships my way, I want in too, Jesus, you can run my life, but I also want in, and when I get in the way of Jesus running our life, it ruins it. If we say, Jesus, you run my life, but I still want to call the shots and I tries to squeeze in, it ruins our ability to follow Jesus. It ruins the heart that God has set aside for us. It ruins the expectation. Deny yourself, pick up your cross, follow me. So as we move to our time of response this morning, I want to remind us That Jesus knows nothing of being an add-on, extra credit, or the cherry on top in our life. Rather, Jesus has showed us where to meet him. He says, I'm in that tent waiting for you. I'm in that tent waiting to commune with you, to invite you into this life. Are you going to meet with me face to face or are you going to leave me behind? Are you willing to set your alarm 30 minutes early and get up expectantly waiting to get into the word and to kneel and bow before God? God, this life is yours. You have redeemed me. You have made me new. You have given everything that I have. Lord, show me. Reveal your life to me. Are we willing to, to turn off Netflix hulu amazon prime peacock all the other ones early god i'm going to meet with you face to face i'm going to get into my tent and commune with you i want to know your voice i want to follow your direction because it's really 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 hard to follow jesus it's really, really, really hard to, to, to take that next step of discipleship. It's really, really, really hard to, to kind of go through life trying to deny, pick up, and follow Jesus if we don't know what his voice sounds like, if we can't recognize his face, if we don't meet with him face to face. We need to get into our tent. We need to spend time in his word, bow to him in prayer, We need to be open to what the Spirit leads us, the gifts, the talents, the time, the treasures he's been given to us. And he's already said, obediently follow me. The world's going to think you're weird. The world might not like some of the things you believe. But are you going to deny yourself or go with what seems? The only way this is possible isn't because of a strength of our own. I'm not talking about white-knuckling our way to the kingdom of heaven. What I'm saying is it's already been done. It's already been paid. It's already been overcome on our behalf. Because of life, death, the resurrection of Jesus. When he looks at his disciples, I've given you my spirit. Now go, change the world. But this is what it looks like. As we continue this morning, I want to invite you to partake in worship with me. Uh, and continue to worship, partake in communion with me. To remember that because of Jesus and his good work, his grace, his cross. Last night with his disciples, Jesus was in the upper room. He held up the bread and he said, this is my body broken for you. Take he said this is my blood take in this time as we continue to worship we invite you to consider how the spirit may be leading you as Aaron talked about this morning this is baptism week for us and, and there is no greater sign there is no greater act of obedience than the step of baptism to say I am willingly dying to myself Denying my, myself, willing to pick up my cross and follow you than, than through baptism. Perhaps that's your next step. Perhaps a step is, is generosity. Start giving back to God. Or to start, start giving more to God as well. You can do that with the give and respond boxes around the room or through the app. But ultimately, we want to be a church that we're not apologetic, we're not sorry for what it means and what it looks like to be a disciple. And that sometimes that means our, our toes get stepped on. Sometimes that means we, we, we walk out of these doors wrestling with, am I in my tent? Or have I been leaving them behind? Would you bow with me as we pray and continue to worship? God, you are good. You are full of praise. Because only you alone are worthy. God, be with us as we worship your name this morning.